0: Rabblecast B-Sides, episode 73, That Only a Mother, by Judith Merrill. Judith Josephine Grossman, 1923-1997, to took the pen name Judith Merrill around 1945, and was an American and then Canadian science fiction writer, editor, and political activist, and one of the first women to be widely influential in those roles. This is one of Judith's most popular SF stories, and first appeared in Astounding Stories in 1948, which is perhaps of note, as you'll notice as it was just after World War II. So without further ado, we bring you That Only a Mother by Judith Merrill. Margaret reached over to the other side of the bed where Hank should have been her hand patted the empty pillow, and then she came altogether awake, wondering that the old habit should remain after so many months. She tried to curl up, cat-style, to hoard her own warmth, found she couldn't do it anymore, and climbed out of bed with a pleased awareness of her increasingly clumsy bulkiness. Morning motions were automatic— "'On the way through the kitchenette, "'she pressed the button that would start breakfast cooking. "'The doctor had said to eat as much breakfast as she could "'and tore the paper out of the facsimile machine. "'She folded the long sheet carefully to the national news section "'and propped it on the bathroom shelf to scan while she brushed her teeth. "'No accidents. No direct hits. "'At least none that had been officially released for publication. "'Now Maggie.' Don't get started on that. No accidents, no hits. Take the nice newspaper's word for it. The three clear chimes from the kitchen announced that the breakfast was ready. She set a bright napkin and cheerfully colored dishes on the table in a futile attempt to appeal to a faulty morning appetite. Then, when there was nothing more to prepare, she went for the mail, allowing herself the full pleasure of prolonged anticipation, because today there would surely be a letter. There was. There were. Two bills and a worried note from her mother." Darling, why didn't you write and tell me sooner? I'm thrilled, of course, but... Well, one hates to mention these things, but are you certain the doctor was right? Hank's been around all that uranium and thorium or whatever it is all these years, and I know you say he's a designer, not a technician, and he doesn't get near anything that might be dangerous, but you know he used to, back at Oak Ridge. Don't you think... Of course, I'm just being the foolish old woman, and I don't want you to get upset, but you know much more than I do, and I'm sure your doctor was right. He should know, after all. Margaret made a face over the excellent coffee and caught herself refolding the paper to the medical news. Stop it, Maggie. Stop it. The radiologist at Hank's job couldn't have exposed him, and the bombed area we drove past... No, no, stop it now. Read the social notes or the recipes, Maggie girl. A well known geneticist in the medical news said that it was possible to tell with absolute certainty at five months whether the child would be normal or at least whether the mutation was likely to produce anything freakish. The worst cases, at any rate, could be prevented. Minor mutations, of course, displacements in facial features or changes in brain structure could be detected, and there had been some cases recently of normal embryos with atrophied limbs that did not develop beyond the seventh or eighth month. But the doctor concluded cheerfully, the worst cases could now be predicted and prevented predicted and prevented we predicted it didn't we hank and the others they predicted it but we didn't prevent it we could have stopped it if in 46 and 47 now Margaret decided against the breakfast coffee had been enough for her in the morning for 10 years it would have to do for today as well She buttoned herself into interminable folds of material that the salesgirl had assured her was the only comfortable thing to wear during the last few months. With a surge of pure pleasure, the letter and newspaper forgotten, she realized she was on the next to last button. It wouldn't be long now. The city in the early morning had always been a special kind of excitement for her. "'Last night it had rained, and the sidewalks were still damp grey instead of dusty. "'The air smelled the fresher, to a city-bred woman at least, "'for the occasional pungency of acrid factory smoke.' She walked the six blocks to work, watching the lights go out in all the all-night hamburger joints where the plate-glass walls were already catching the sun, and the lights go on in the dim interiors of cigar stores and dry-cleaning establishments. The office was in a new government building— "'In the roll on the way up, she felt, as always, like a Frankfurter roll "'in the ascending half of an old-style rotary toasting machine. "'She abandoned the air-foam cushioning gratefully at the fourteenth floor "'and settled down behind her desk at the rear of a long row of identical desks. "'Each morning, the pile of papers that greeted her was a little higher.' These were, as everyone knew, the decisive months. The war might be won or lost on these calculations as well as others. The manpower office had switched her here when her old expediter's job got to be too strenuous. The computer was easy to operate, and the work was absorbing, if not as exciting as the old job. But you didn't just stop working these days. Everyone who could do anything at all was needed. "'And she remembered the interview with the psychologist. "'I'm probably the unstable type, "'wondering what sort of neurosis I'd get "'sitting home reading that sensational paper. "'She plunged into the work without pursuing the thought. "'February 18th. "'Hank, darling, just a note, from the hospital no less. "'I had a dizzy spell at work, and the doctor took it to heart.' "'Blessed if I know what I'll do with myself lying in bed for weeks, just waiting, "'but Dr. Boyer seems to think it may not be so long. "'There are too many newspapers around here, more infanticides all the time, "'and they can't seem to get a jury to convict any of them. "'It's the fathers who do it. "'Lucky thing you're not around, in case—' "'Oh, darling, that wasn't a funny joke, was it?' Write as often as you can, will you? I have too much time to think, but there really isn't anything wrong and nothing to worry about. Write often, and remember I love you, Maggie. Special Service Telegram, February 21st, 1953, 2200, from Tech Lieutenant H. Marvel, X47016, to Miss Harville Women's Hospital, New York City. Had Doctors Graham stop, will arrive four o ten. stop, short leave, stop, you did it, Maggie, stop, love, Hank. February 25th Hank, dear, so you didn't see the baby either? You'd think a place this size would at least have VESA plates on the incubators so the fathers could get a look, even if the poor, benign mamas can't. They tell me I won't see her for another week, or maybe more, but of course, Mother always warned me if I didn't slow my pace, I'd probably even have my babies too fast. Why must she always be right? "'Did you meet that battle-axe of a nurse they put on her? "'I imagine they save her for people who've already had theirs "'and don't let her get too near the perspectives. "'But a woman like that simply shouldn't be allowed to a maternity ward. "'She's obsessed with mutations, can't seem to talk about anything else. "'Oh, well, ours is all right, even if it was in an unholy hurry.' "'I'm tired. They warned me not to sit up too often, but I had to write you. "'All my love, darling. Maggie.' "'February twenty-ninth, Darling, I finally got to see her. "'It's all true what they say about new babies and the face that only a mother could love.' "'But it's all there, darling. Eyes, ears, and noses. No, only one all in the right place. We're so lucky, Hank. I'm afraid I've been a rambunctious patient. I keep telling that hatchet-faced female with the mutation mania that I wanted to see the baby.' Finally, the doctor came in to, quote, explain everything to me and talked a lot of nonsense, most of which I'm sure no one could have understood any more than I did. The only thing I got out of it was that she didn't actually have to stay in the incubator. They just thought it was wiser. I think I got a little hysterical at that point. Guess I was more worried than I was willing to admit, but I threw a small fit about it. The whole business wound up with one of those hushed medical conferences outside the door, and finally the woman in white said, "'Well, we might as well. Maybe it'll work out better that way.'" I'd heard about the way doctors and nurses in these places develop a god complex, and believe me, it is as true figuratively as it is literally that a mother hasn't a leg to stand on around here— I am awfully weak still. I'll write again soon, love. Maggie March eighth, dearest Hank. Well, the nurse was wrong if she told you that. She's an idiot, anyhow. It's a girl. It's easier to tell with babies than with cats, and I know. How about Henrietta? I'm home again, and busier than a betatron. They got everything mixed up at the hospital, and I had to teach myself how to bathe her and how to do just about everything else. She's getting prettier, too. When can you get a leave, a real leave? Love, Maggie. May 26th. Hank, dear, you should see her now, and you shall. I'm sending along a reel of color movie. My mother sent her those nighties with drawstrings all over. I put one on, and right now she looks like a snow-white potato sack with that beautiful, beautiful flower face blooming up on top. Is that me talking? Am I a doting mother at last? But wait till you see her, Hank. July 10th, believe it or not, as you like, but your daughter can talk. And I don't mean baby talk. Alice discovered it. She's a dental assistant in the WACs, you know. And when she heard the baby giving out what I thought was a string of gibberish, she said the kid knew words and sentences, but couldn't say them clearly yet because, well, she had no teeth yet. I'm talking to a speech specialist now. September 13th. We have a prodigy for real Hank. Now that all her front teeth are in, her speech is perfectly clear. And a new talent now. She can sing. I mean really carry a tune. At seven months. Darling, my world would be more perfect if only you could get home. November 19th. At last, the little goon was so busy being clever, it took her all this time to learn to crawl. The doctor says development in these cases is almost always erratic. Special Service Telegram, December 1st, 1953, 847 LKS9F from Tech Lieutenant H. Marvel. Leave starts tomorrow. Weeks stop. Will arrive airport 1005 stop don't meet me stop love 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 hank margaret let the water run out of the bathonet until only a few inches were left and then loosed her hold on the wriggling baby i think it was better when you were retarded young woman she informed her daughter happily you can't crawl in a bathonet you know then why can't I go in the bathtub? Margaret was used to her child's volubility by now, but every now and then it caught her unawares. She swooped the resistant mass of pink flesh into a towel and began to rub. Because you're too little, and your head is very soft, and bathtubs are very hard. Oh, then when can I go in the bathtub? Well, when the outside of your head is as hard as the inside, brain child. She reached toward a pile of fresh clothing. I cannot understand, she added, pinning a square of cloth through the nightgown, why a child of your intelligence can't learn to keep a diaper on the way other babies do. They've been used for centuries, you know, with perfect satisfactory results. The child disdained to reply she'd heard it too often— She waited patiently until she'd been tucked, clean and sweet-smelling, into a white-painted crib. Then she favored her mother with a smile that inevitably made Margaret think of the first golden edge of the sun bursting into a rosy pre-dawn. She remembered Hank's reaction to the colorful pictures of his beautiful daughter, and with a thought realized how late it was. Go to sleep, puss. When you wake up, you know, your daddy will be here. Why? asked the four-year-old mind, waging a losing battle to keep the ten-month-old body awake. Margaret went into the kitchenette and set the timer for the roast. She examined the table and got her clothes from the closet, new dress, new shoes, new slip, new everything, bought weeks before and saved for the day Hank's telegram came. She stopped to pull a paper from the facsimile, and, with clothes and news, went into the bathroom and lowered herself gingerly into the steaming luxury of a scented tub. She glanced through the paper with indifferent interest. Today, at least, there was no need to read the national news. There was an article by a geneticist, the same geneticist. Mutations, he said, were increasingly disproportionate. It was too soon for recessives. Even the first mutants born near Hiroshima and Nagasaki in 1946 and 47 were not old enough yet to breed. But my baby's all right. Apparently, there was some degree of free radiation from atomic explosions causing the trouble. My baby's fine, precocious, but normal. "'If more attention had been paid to the first Japanese mutations,' she said, "'there was that little notice in the paper in the spring of 47. "'That was when Hank quitted Oak Ridge. "'Only two or three percent of those guilty of infanticide "'are being caught and punished in Japan today. "'But my baby's all right.' She was dressed, combed, and ready, to the last light brush-on of lip-paste when the door chime sounded. She dashed for the door and heard, for the first time in eighteen months, the almost-forgotten sound of a key turning in the lock before the chime had quite died away. Hank! Maggie! And then there was nothing to say so many days so many months of small news piling up so many things to tell em and now she just stood there staring at a khaki uniform and a stranger's pale face She traced the features with the finger of memory, the same high-bridged nose, wide-set eyes, fine, feathery brows, the same long jaw, the hair a little farther back now on the high forehead, the same tilted curve to his mouth, pale, of course, he'd been underground all this time, and strange, stranger because of lost familiarity than any newcomer's face could be. She had time to think all that before his hand reached out to touch her and spanned the gap of eighteen months. Now, again, there was nothing to say because there was no need. They were together and for the moment that was enough. Where's the baby? Sleeping. She'll be up any minute. No urgency. Their voices were as casual as though it were a daily exchange, as though war and separation did not exist. Margaret picked up the coat he'd thrown on the chair near the door and hung it carefully in the hall closet. She went to check the roast, leaving him to wander through the rooms by himself, remembering and coming back. She finally found him standing over the baby's crib. She couldn't see his face but she had no need to. I think we can wake her just this once. Margaret pulled the covers down and lifted the white bundle from the bed. Sleepy lids pulled back heavily from smoky brown eyes. Hello, Hank's voice was tentative. Hello, the baby's assurance was more pronounced. He had heard about it, of course, but that wasn't the same as hearing it. He turned eagerly to Margaret, She can... really? Of course she can, darling. But what's more important, she can even do nice, normal things like other babies do. Even stupid ones. Watch her crawl. Margaret set the baby on the edge of the bed. For a moment, young Henrietta lay and eyed her parents dubiously. Crawl? she asked. That's the idea. Your daddy is new around here, you know. He wants to see you show off. Well, then, put me on my tummy. Oh, of course. Margaret obligingly rolled the baby over. What's the matter? Hank's voice was still casual, but an undercurrent in it began to change the air of the room. I thought they'd turned over first. This baby—Margaret would not notice the tension—this baby does things when she wants to. "'This baby's father watched with softening eyes "'while the head advanced and the body hunched up, "'propelling itself across the bed. "'Why, the little rascal?' he burst into relieved laughter. "'She looks like one of those potato sack racers "'they used to have on picnics, "'got her arms pulled out of the sleeves already. "'He reached over and grabbed the knot "'at the bottom of the long nightie. "'Oh, I'll do it, darling. "'Margaret tried to get there first. "'Don't be silly, Maggie. This may be your first baby, but I've had five brothers.' He laughed her away and reached with his other hand for the string that closed one's sleeve. He opened the sleeve bow and grabbed for an arm. "'The way you wiggle,' he addressed his child sternly as his hand touched a moving knob of flesh at the shoulder. "'Anyone might think you're a little worm, using your tummy to crawl on instead of your hands and feet.' margaret stood watched smiling wait till you see her sing darling his right hand traveled down from the shoulder to where he thought an arm would be traveled down and straight down over firm small muscles that writhed in an attempt to move against the pressure of his hand he let his fingers drift up again to the shoulder With infinite care, he opened the knot at the bottom of the nightgown. His wife was standing by the bed saying, She can do jingle bells, and... His left hand felt along the soft, knitted fabric of the gown, up towards the diaper that folded flat and smooth across the bottom of the child. No wrinkles. No kicking. No. Maggie. He tried to pull his hands from the neat fold in the diaper, from the wriggling body. "'Maggie!' His throat was dry. Words came hard, low, and grating. He spoke very slowly, thinking the sound of each word to make himself say it. His head was spinning, but he had to know before he let it go. "'Maggie, why didn't you tell me?' "'Tell you what, darling?' Margaret's poise was the immemorable patience of a woman confronted with man's childish impetuosity. Her sudden laugh sounded fantastically easy and natural in that room. It was all clear to her now. Is she wet? I I didn't know. She didn't know. His hands, beyond control, ran up and down the soft-skinned baby body, the sinuous, limbless body. Oh God, dear God, his head shook, his muscles contracted, in a bitter spasm of hysteria, his fingers tightened on his child, oh God, she didn't know. And that was our story. Hope you enjoyed it. Special thanks to our episode artist this week, Drabblecast art director Bo Kyre Check out his work at bokyre.com And thanks to you, our monthly Drabblecast B-Side subscriber. Without your help, we couldn't do this, and we greatly appreciate it.